it's always fun to see the small children in the service with us, isn't it? Uh, I know my grandson was singing along there. That, that's just great to, uh, to see the, the smaller children as well. Well, I get to complete a two-part series today, and you're saying, phew, last week we did anxiety, this week it's about loss and death. What's what, what would next week be, fire and brimstone or what? So, uh, but uh, Chris will be back, and uh, that'll, be, that'll be good. Um, you remember last week I was able to share with you, uh, and I talked about head and heart, that we need to re review and remember uh, God's promises and his provision in those times of uh, fear or uncertainty, that we keep looking to him, and we, that's why we stay in the word, and that's why we encourage each other, and we go through those times. And then, uh, then we also, though, experience God's comfort, especially with one another, and uh, just that peace and that rest. And uh, today, we'll carry on with that a little bit. Um, again, I'll take you back to Illinois just briefly. When I was a kid, we didn't have, of course, we didn't have video games and we didn't have a lot of the entertainment stuff. I think our uh, TV got uh, two channels, so it wasn't a lot of choice. But uh, we would gather as kids out in the neighborhood. Uh, they had real grass and trees there, but we'd gather them in the neighborhood and uh, uh, we'd play things like kick the can, or since it's the land of Lincoln, it was called free the slaves. But another one was just hide and seek. And hide and seek was great if you were one of the hiders and you'd take off and you know, sometimes the seeker would have to really work to find everybody. But if, if they never came to find you, then you weren't one of the sought ones. You weren't one of the hiders. You were actually just lost or forgot, forgotten. <laughs> that was always a bummer. Uh, when I was a little bit older, uh, I remember I was painting a barn. I was a teenager, probably trying to make some, some money on the side. And I was painting a barn with this, with this other fellow. And my dad had given me this nice little transistor radio, and it was cool. It got AM and FM. I really liked that a lot. Good sound, nice and small, fit right in a little pocket. I had a tool apron thing, and I showed that, and I don't think I was showing off. But the next day I came back, and uh, my, my radio was gone. I looked everywhere for it. I couldn't find it. It was lost, or more likely it was stolen. I never did see that radio again. But when we lose something that's important to us, it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? It's sometimes, well, possession, it's a radio, you shake that off a little bit. But if you've lost something more important, it's been taken from you, we don't like that situation. Uh, we want it back, we feel violated, we feel vulnerable. We had a car stolen once uh, in front of our house, uh, we felt violated. And when we lose something important to us, it affects us deeply, and it can impact us on an emotional level. And it takes a while to adjust to that unwanted situation. I was used to this, even if it wasn't perfect, and it's been taken from me. And it can trigger uh, a grieving process. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes. If you would, uh, let's, though, ask God's prayer. Uh, let, let's ask God in, in prayer. And join with me, please. Father, um, uh, you're with us in every situation, in the happy, joyful times and in the challenging times, in the times of family and the times of being alone, in the times where we have all experience, all kinds of blessings, and then in other times where we're hurting or afraid or uncertain. And I pray as we look into your word today that you would uh, reassure us and comfort us and also give us strength 
and courage. So we love you and commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are different types of losses. Uh, some of us this past year have gone through health challenges. And those are very, if you've ever been in something like that, it's a very vulnerable place. You don't know what's going on, and you don't know where it's going. Uh, some of us have lost friendships. When you lose a friend, somebody you thought you could count on, it's an empty feeling, isn't it? It, it hurts, whether it was your fault or not. Uh, relationships, more of a, a love relationship. Some of us have been through that. Uh, we've lost loved ones that have physically passed. And uh, we've all been there. Uh, we don't choose these situations, do we? They, they just happen. And uh, some of us, uh, well, uh, years ago I was working uh, with, uh, uh, in the Phoenix area, and I had this series of engineers from, from uh, Motorola that were getting laid off. And I said, what do you do? And they said, well, I'm a Motorola engineer. I make widgets for Motorola. But after 25 years, they'd been laid off or downsized or something. And their identity had been with what I do. Some of us really identify my career, what I do. And if you lose that, that's a loss experience. Uh, it can be a financial or uh, material setback. Or some of us have lost some of our history. What should have happened in our childhood or youth? regrets over something. Well, and some of the rest of us, some of us have also lost part of our dream, what we thought we could count on and what we were working toward, and somehow it's been taken from us. And again, the, by the very definition of a loss, it's not something I choose or you choose, it's something that somehow circumstances have all happened. And we're not blaming God, but we're, somehow we're just, it, it's a painful, frustrating time. And these things can have lasting consequences, irritation, anger, depression. And the challenge is adapting to this loss or grief cycle, going through it and allowing God to help us. Because I don't know if you're, what you're like, but when I go through a struggle like that, I tend to want to pull back from other people and pull back from God. That's my natural reaction. But we can't do that. We have to embrace and reach out and connect with others, connect with God. So we want to see how God will bless us and guide us through this time and give us courage. And the problem can be if we stay stuck in one spot. So today we look at how to rely on God in difficult times, drawing strength and hope from him. And we also will see how we can support others when they go through these, these challenging times. In our body right here, we've had several losses in the past 12 months that I'm aware of. And we gather around and we help them. We're, we're there for them. Even if you're doing great, you're there for somebody else. That's part of love. That's part of the love of God. So with that, let's get a perspective, a biblical perspective. And we're gonna go to this, uh, a very fast survey of the book of Job. Job, which is one of the uh, oldest books in the Bible. We don't know the date of it. We don't know the author. But Job, 42 chapters, right before Psalms, if you're looking. Um, and Job um, has got some things to teach us. In chapter 1, uh, and I'll say the verses quickly, and you can write, jot them down uh, and look at them later. In chapter 1, and uh, verses 1 and 8, Job was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. 
He was wealthy and called the greatest man among all the people of the East, most likely somewhere over in Syria or in Arabia, somewhere to the south and east of Palestine. Didn't say that he was perfect, but he was blameless, righteous. And then we have this dialogue between God and the fallen angel, Satan, who doubted Job's faith. And he said, verse 10, does, God fear, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. He said, hey, hey, he just is, is thankful to you because he's got so much stuff. He's blessed. Satan went on, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Job only fears God because of his wealth and blessing. So let's take it away and then see what happens. Now remember, this is not what happens to all of us as believers, thank God, uh, but this is a description of what happened with Job. For reasons that aren't fully explained here, God allowed this process. Verse 12, God gave permission uh, that everything he has in, is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. So Job incurred great losses. He lost a 1,000 oxen. He lost donkeys and servants. He lost 7,000 sheep and their servants. He lost 3,000 camels and their servants. And ultimately, as these messengers came and telling all the bad news, wave after wave of them, they came and told how all of his sons and daughters, seven sons, three daughters, were gathered together in one house, and the house fell in on them, and all ten of them were lost. I can't imagine. We've been through some losses in life. I can't imagine that. In verse 21 of chapter 1, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I got to tell you, I've thought about this for a couple of months. I've been thinking on this, this text. I don't quite know how he, how he was able to say that, other than God did something in his heart to help him do that. Verse 22 says, in all things, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. It's maybe the most natural thing when something bad happens to us. We want to find somebody to blame. But his faith and his head took over and said, I know that our, my heavenly father is not to blame. I don't know what's going on here. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Job still maintains his integrity. So then uh, the evil one, Satan, conducted further testing. There were painful sores all over his body. It says, verse 12, they could hardly recognize him. And then maybe the ultimate his wife said, are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. Wow. Now let's see. He lost his possessions, his empire, all of his animals, his livestock, his servants, any way of making a living. He lost his children, now his health, and even his wife's respect. How will he react now? Chapter 2, verse 10 says, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Okay, he's hanging on. And then we go on to chapter 3, and something that's a little bit un, unknown or out of our experience usually, and it's called a lament. 
And it goes on for several chapters here where Job uh, publicly or verbally describes his pain and his grief. He says, chapter 311, why did, I per- why did I not perish at birth? I wish I wasn't even born. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. Verse 24, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. If you've ever been in the pits, a lot of us have. If you've ever been in the pits, you know it just looks bleak down there. Job was sad. He was angry. He was alone. He was rejected. He was full of pain. And he was depressed. These are classic grief symptoms, what we talk talk about the grief cycle. Let's look at that just briefly. I've got this graphic here. You probably can't see it, so I'll just explain, explain it to you. Up in the top, it says shock. Usually you're stunned like somebody hit you between the eyes with a two-by-four. I can't believe this is happening to me. And then denial, that's not that river in, in Egypt. Denial is that, that thing where we think it's not going to be that bad. I'll get through this in some way. Well, that's usually self-deception because it is that bad. And we are, I don't know if I'm going to get through it. And then we bottom out in these intense emotions, anger, depression, where you're all over the board. And it's like a pendulum. Uh, a grandfather clock pendulum that ticks back and forth, and you can't control what phase you happen to be in right now. Ultimately, you have to go on to bargaining or accepting and adjusting, and finally to cope with your new reality, because you're trying to go from the old reality to the new reality. Now, I'm going to stop with the psychology part in just a minute, please. So, uh, we go from the unknown to the known, to the, the known to the unknown. And you go where you've never been before, it's uncertainty. Or maybe there's another way to look at it. Let's take that next one, Rich. See this guy, he's saying, go down, going down. He says, how far does this really go? I feel like I'm in free fall. I don't know what's going to happen next. Some of us have felt that way. (laughs) After all of this, what else is going to happen? And then the next one is the pits. And this guy is saying, what lights? I'm still looking for the tunnel. There's no lights at the end of the tunnel here. And you feel like you're in a cloud, you're in fog, you're confused, you don't know what to feel, whether you're angry, sad, numb. When we got the news uh, this week about Andy with the deep vein thrombosis, blood clot, uh, at first I didn't know what to feel. I was just numb. And that was a brief thing. Some of us, though, something that doesn't just get better, it takes a while. Job's laments were ones where He didn't know what to feel, but he did express his depression. He couldn't just snap out of it, right? Oh, two weeks, come on, get over it, you know? Let's move on, let's be happy. That's part of our culture, right? Our grief lasted a long time, 27 years ago when we lost our son. And then we had to get to the point where the next one is coping corner. Coping corner where this guy is trying to crawl out, and he's saying, is this really necessary? Because it's really hard work to come out of grief and despair to get a new perspective. And then ultimately, he moves on to normalcy knob. What is normal anyway? Going from that old life to the new, this uncertainty, and I don't know where I'm going, but I have to move on because I can't go back. That was not my choice, but here I am. So that's just a little picture in the first three or four chapters with Job, what happened to him. Now the next several quite a few chapters, like 25 chapters of Job, are a dialogue between Job and Job's counselors. 
You know that we have that phrase, right? Job's counselors, they, we have that for a reason. These four fellas, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu, they had a interesting perspective. They felt like they needed to defend God and accuse Job. Their constant theme was basically, well, if you're having all this trouble, you must have sinned somewhere. Remember Julie Andrews saying in Sound of Music, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Well, here they're saying, you must have done something bad. You're guilty in some way. And so we hear chapter 8, verse 20, Bildad said, surely God does not reject someone who is blameless or strengthen the hands of evildoers. He's saying, you had to have messed up somewhere. You're guilty somewhere. Come on. And I'm thinking, seriously? He was a righteous man. And they doubted him. They accused him of sin and unfaithfulness. He was just going through life. And sometimes it's not our fault. It just happens. Eliphaz said in chapter 22, Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? Why do you complain? And this goes on for some 25 or 30 chapters. Uh, if you, you want to have a nice Sunday afternoon, just read through those things. He accused Job of sin, selfishness, lack of faith. And I'm thinking, really, with friends like that, who, who needs enemies, right? Talk about no compassion. But here he was. Our story was we had friends that said, they came with nice pithy little things like, you can have another. Or, uh, you know, it'll all be okay. Well, it didn't seem okay at the time. It was good intentions, but it wasn't terribly helpful. What we need when we're hurting like that, what we need from others, just to be there. Spend some time. You don't have to have the pat answers. You don't need to defend God. Then let's move on to the last few chapters of Job. Chapters 38 to 42, God's response. Then the Lord answered Job. Now, remember we said that Job is righteous, not perfect? Well, Job had a perspective wrong, and usually when we're hurting, we're not terribly objective, right? It's a time where it's easy to forget those truths, and we have to be brought back to that, and God did this for him. He said, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. He clearly reminds Job who he's talking to. I'm God, you're not. I'm creator, you're not. I'm all-powerful, you aren't. I'm also all-knowing, all-loving, and all-benevolent. In Isaiah 66, I've shared this before, uh, the Lord said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you could build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. Remember who I am. Remember, I'm in charge. I know what you don't. He's saying to Job, look, I understand your losses. I care. But remember who it is you're dealing with. Remember and renew your perspective. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, But to this one I will look, not the one who does all great things for God, to this one I will look, who is the one who is humble, contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. 
God looks at those who look to him. And he's there for us. Barbara was reading an article, and uh, she shared it with me. And it's a nice story, and I'm just going to read it. It's a story about that old hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Maybe you've heard different renditions of it. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The story, this lady, Sevilla Durfee Martin, was born in Nova Scotia. She lived in the late 1800s, and in 1905, she, wrote, she came across an interesting experience. Early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple with the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day while visiting the Doolittles, my husband commented there and, and said, what's the secret of their happiness? And they said, it's simple, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, a quote from Matthew 6. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the eyes and fired the uh, imagination of Dr. Martin and me. And so they wrote that, that hymn and that, that song. His eyes on the sparrow, he watches me. And back to Job 40, chapter 42. Job repented and he said, Surely I spoke of things I did not know, understand, things too wonderful for me to know. It's easy to lose perspective in our sorrow, in our tough times, in our challenges, in the midst of pain. It's easy to forget God's sovereignty and that we may need to repent and renew that healthy perspective of what he is doing and who he is. Maybe Job was feeling a little sorry for himself and he lost perspective, which is understandable. So he sought forgiveness and he received it. And then the Lord spoke to Job's counselors. We knew that was coming, right? 42 verse 7, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. I am angry. I don't want God to be angry at me. On later in 42, Job prayed for his friends and the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. I was impacted by that because here after all this challenge, all this heartache, God comforted him by bringing those around him that cared for him. Comfort from his people. Several weeks ago after service, I was standing outside and I was talking with Bill. And Bill shared a verse with me, 2 Corinthians 4. You remember that? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive. 
we go through tough times, the Lord speaks to us and helps us. And then he uses that to bless somebody else. Here at the Vineyard, we try to do a few things well. We teach the word, we worship, we hope to be a witness to the community. And we want to be, compar uh, uh, we want to be compassionate and caring to everyone God brings. So when you go through tough stuff, uh, I'd rather not go through it, right? I'd rather not have that comfort to be able to give someone else. But if I don't have a choice and I get comforted by the Lord, you share that with somebody else, right? That's what we do. We're a community. That's what God has called us to. 42.12 says then, oh, just stop. And as you give it away, what happens? You yourself are blessed, right? The happiest people are those that give it all away. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. You give it and God gives more. Not necessarily material stuff, but just full blessings. 42, 12 of Job says, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. So let's summarize. What did we learn from Job? First thing I think of is this is descriptive, not prescriptive. We don't have to be oxen ranchers or farmers in Syria. That would be prescriptive. We are where God has put us to be, and we want to learn from it. Job was righteous, not perfect. He did need to be corrected, and he was, and had to repent when he missed the mark. Grief is a normal emotional process of adjusting to loss. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to share with everybody, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. It's okay also to say, you know, this is a tough time. Pray for me. Uh, it's okay. We need to adjust to life, and it takes time. Loss is also an opportunity to grow closer to God. Hmm, you think, I could pass on that opportunity, thank you. <laughs> but if it happens, we see that opportunity to grow closer to God and his touch, his presence, and to not draw away from him. What else to learn? Some people will disappoint us. The people we think we count on, some of them, they'll let us down. They'll say those pithy statements. But then other people, out of the blue, God will bring people that encourage us and lift us up. A couple more things. How to help the grieving. Be there and comfort them and console them. And when we go through tough stuff, God, remember, God will use that to comfort others. Now, just real practical. Uh, after 9-11, after I got a phone call from a business in Phoenix, but they had colleagues that were in one of the towers that came down. And these people in Phoenix were having difficulty because they had this survivor's guilt thing. Why wasn't I in that tower? They were hurting for those people they knew so well. And they had me come in and do a seminar, and I shared several just brief things with them, and this is part of that list. Number one, practical, what to do with losses and grief, how to help others. 
Remember, this is normal. It's a process. It takes time to work through. Number two, and I think you've got it in your bulletin, uh, acknowledge your loss. Admit it. Rather than bury it and try to ignore it, admit it and say, what I lost, how I felt last week, how I feel now, what I'm worried about. Number three, admit your anger. It's a, it's a normal emotion. Admit it. Don't let necessarily let it, let it out and spew against all kinds of other people, but admit it. Uh, number four, tell your story. Share it with somebody that will listen. By the very fact of sharing it, um, that helps you, and it may help somebody else. Number five, comfort someone else. Listen to their story. Take time. Be there for them. You don't have to have pat answers. You don't have to have a PhD in counseling. You just need to be there for them. If God has brought you together, be there. Everyone grieves differently. Number six, do something positive, something to make, make sense out of this hard stuff. 27 years ago after our loss, uh, uh, we formed an, uh, a memorial fund, uh, and uh, we couldn't raise our son, but we helped raise some others. We got a fund together and went and helped develop a camp in Romania, we took workers over there and worked and put it together. And that camp is still functioning today for, for uh, uh, orphans and families and uh, discipling. And that's something creative, something positive. And finally, tell your story again. Share it with somebody. Tell it to God. Allow yourself to feel it. Now, I apologize, uh, maybe, kind of, for focusing on a tough stuff topic. But maybe there's some of us that could really value that. What I'd like to do now is let's have a, just a, a little bit of prayer time. And I'm going to pray with you a little bit. There will be some silence. There will also be some scriptures I'll read. And if God moves in your heart, just talk to him silently. Join me in prayer, please. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us in the great times, in the times of jubilation and rejoicing, and you're also with us in those tough and challenging times. Thank you that we're not alone. I pray for each of us here today. Some of us are really hurting. Some of us have, have trying to get over stuff from the past. I pray that you would experience your touch, your healing, your tenderness. Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. We trust you today. Please help us in walking with you. Help us trust you even when we're confused, when we're hurting, when we lose something important. John says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Some of us are fearful. Some of us are not experiencing peace. Calm our hearts. Help us. Help us embrace your peace. Renew our perspective. And Revelation says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We pray for one another. We pray for those with tears, comfort. We pray for those with regrets. We pray for hope. We pray for a renewed perspective. We pray for our body we, we could be loving and kind and sharing and compassionate with one another. Show us how, Lord. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. We thank you for your goodness and we rejoice in your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Rich, and uh, Chris gave me the privilege of uh, leading us into communion. So I've been thinking the past couple weeks about the cup, the image of the cup. And Paul, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 tells us uh, this is the cup of blessing. It's a participation in the blood of Christ. And we do bless the cup because it blesses us. Uh, for us, it's a cup of blessing. It's a participation in his blood, and it's a new covenant in his blood. But for Jesus, it was a cup of suffering, and that's why he asks at the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that it might be taken from him if it's the Father's will. Um, I went around the scripture, Old and New Testament, looking at the image of the cup and was kind of surprised to see that far and away that image is used as a cup of God's wrath. Um, it's found all over the scripture. Uh, for instance, in Psalm 75, it says, in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And this terrible wrath of God that was prepared as a judgment on all the rebellious and arrogant and selfish and appalling acts of men and women, including us, including me, that's exactly what Jesus drank down to the dregs for the world and for us. So we have much loss and much grief in this life, 
but the ultimate loss and grief, a terrible and complete separation from all of God's grace, feeling only wrath, that loss and grief we will never know because Jesus took it to the cross for us. If you follow Jesus, you're welcome to the cup and the bread. And here at the vineyard, we come up to the table, either alone or together. We break off the bread, break it apart from the rest of the loaf, dip it in the cup, and proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. So uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have taken away from us forever that which would separate us from you forever. Your word tells us that the Lord Jesus was a, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And Lord Jesus, you have known far worse than we will ever know. We thank you for us. Help us to remember what a blessing the cup is because it was unimaginable agony for you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.